Hi, friends. I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. I didn't know how to start that. Neither did I, but I feel like I always talk over you at the beginning, so this time I tried to wait, and then, well, neither of us had anything. So welcome back, everybody. (laughs) So see, and then we talk over each other. (laughs) Just absolute crickets at the beginning of the episode. Oh yeah, did you like my little sound effect? Yeah, I think you should do them more often, they're quite funny. I'm more than happy to put sound effects in if people like them and they think they're funny. I'm slowly but surely getting used to my new schedule. I'm finding more time to edit. So, yeah, I'm game. I mean, I enjoy them and I feel like my opinion is the most important. (laughs) I mean, you're 50% of this. Truth. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. Do we have any, any business to attend to? We just wanted to say a huge thank you. We've seen a huge uptake in really, again, every platform, whether it's listening, uh, our social media or any other for that matter, just engagement overall, even on Facebook, which we're not huge on, but we've really tried to um, put our names out there a bit more. So we just want to say a huge thank you to everyone that's taken some time to either leave us a review or follow us or share something like we love seeing ourselves getting tagged and stuff that makes us so happy. Um, You don't need to donate money to support us. Liking, sharing, that means just as much to us, and we greatly appreciate it. Yeah, well said. I don't have anything else to add. I'm honestly so so delusional from how hot it is that I don't even know. I don't even have commentary. Like, I work at home, for those of you that don't know, and I'm in the process of moving, but currently I work in my bedroom in the upstairs of a two-story uh, house and it's been about like 37 38 degrees Celsius here like today I think it was like 37 degrees which hold on let me do a little Celsius to Fahrenheit conversion yeah, it's 27 for all y'all. right now on my so, little desk in the middle of the day today it was like 37 degrees outside which is like Ooh. 99 degrees Fahrenheit for everyone so yeah it's been about 100 degrees for everyone that is fahrenheit long story short because again i'm so delusional i'm so off topic uh my bedroom was 30 degrees today inside of my bedroom where i work for eight and a half hours i'm going camping for the next few days so i'll be okay and then i'm moving soon and i'll be living on the bottom floor so i won't be so hot But, oh my gosh. Okay, today's episode, uh, we've teased it a little bit on Instagram by now, but it was actually chosen because I was scrolling Netflix's, like, what's coming soon list, as I often do, and came across a new documentary that's coming out. So if you're listening to this the day that we put it up, it's coming out tomorrow on Wednesday, August 18th. And it said it was called Memories of a Murderer, the Nielsen Tapes. So, of course, I'm like, huh, that doesn't sound familiar. And so I start Googling and this case is insane enough that I was like, well, might as well cover it before it comes out because now I need to know everything before I find out everything. Oh, heck, Jess. 
check, check, yes. So I asked Katie, I was like, you know, the case is from the UK, but it's coming out on Netflix. What do you think? And she was like, cover it, obviously, do it, no question. So um, here we are giving you the story as we know it the day before the documentary comes out. This documentary, according to Netflix's description, is going to tell the truth about how and why serial killer Dennis Nielsen killed. This has actually been the topic of debate in books and documentaries since his arrest in 1983. Dennis died, so yes, spoiler alert, he dies, in 2018, and when he did, authorities found a massive personal archive, including over 250 hours of never-before-published cassette tapes of his private recordings in his cell. Yep, I remember hearing about that. This 84-minute documentary is said to include, quote, interviews from police, journalists, survivors, uh, bereaved families, and Nielsen's own recordings. So just before we start, he also wrote a book. He wrote, like, his own book about himself. His own memoir. Yeah, totally. That was unpublished. And good. Let me just find the name of it. Uh, it, He he considered it an autobiography titled History of a Drowning Boy. And it included like, (sighs) anyway, long story short, after he died, one of his family members apparently did publish it. And I didn't even look to see if you can still find it because like there's no chance I'm ever going to buy that. Uh, apparently that is in existence as well, so that's special. Those are the kind of books that I would 100% pick it up if I saw it at, like, a thrift store, purely to have yeah. on my bookshelf, because I think it's funny in that sense, finding it yeah. used, but I would never be like, hey, Amazon Prime, do you have this book? <laughs> no. Or And Indigo. even, I mean, I'll talk about it a little bit later, but the, yeah, the victim's families also said, like, cash grab, basically. I am going to preface this case before we start by saying, like, basically massive trigger warning. There is a lot of really, really uh, just gross stuff in like this graphic, story. yeah. <laughs> graphic, really just shit nobody wants to hear about, but here we are. Um, I figure we're going to hopefully get an even more in-depth look into these crimes tomorrow on Netflix. So there's obviously so much detail that goes into some of this. It's just impossible for me to include it all in the time frame we have, but I figured Netflix will cover what I don't, so it's fine. All of my sources for this episode, of course, will be included in the show notes. And I think we can start. Dennis Nielsen, let's just, uh, let's, let's do it. Dennis Nielsen, he was born November 23rd, 1945 in Fraserburgh, Aberdeenshire, Scotland. Aberdeenshire. You made it sound like it was like so many words. (laughs) Aberdeenshire. (laughs) Four different words. It's not. Fraserburg, Aberdeenshire, Scotland. There we go. I did it. He was born to a Scottish mother, Elizabeth Duffy White, and Norwegian father, Olav Magnus Moksheem, who would later adopt the surname Nielsen. (laughs) Okay. Random. I don't know. Well, there's two of us and one of you, so get in line. I think this was, like, common back then to change your last name. I don't know. 
War like, times, which you know? I think you just change it to what family has a better status, really. Yeah, maybe. But they just he just changed it all together. So okay. o- Olaf was a Norwegian soldier who immigrated to Scotland in 1940, and he met Elizabeth shortly after. Elizabeth and Olaf were married uh, by 1942, and in 1945, they had already had Dennis's older brother, Olaf Jr., and were set to welcome Dennis. So Dennis was okay. number two child. Dennis the Menace. Okay, here we go. Literally, Dennis the Menace. Wow. Yes. Let's just call him that the rest of today. Elizabeth, Olaf Jr., and Dennis, they all lived at Elizabeth's parents' house. And Olaf would come back for, like, brief visits from his work that he did away from home. Um, Pretty much all three children were conceived during these, like, just brief random visits. Olaf was not certainly... When else? Well, he wasn't the best husband, like... He was described as an alcoholic. He didn't really care about being married or, like, settling down anywhere with his new wife. He just kind of whisked in and out, like. I feel like that was common in the 40s. So Mm -hmm. I think that was just marriages a lot of the time. Like, the men went away and worked. They came home. They knocked the wife up. They go back to work. That's just. just Yeah, well, Elizabeth wasn't having it. So she had Dennis's sister Sylvia when Dennis was just four years old in 1948 and then they divorced shortly afterwards Elizabeth admitted that they they rushed into marriage and her parents even were super um they were really unsupportive of her choice in husband so they were really stoked that she wanted a divorce and they really baby factory she doesn't want to keep doing that yeah and they really like with someone you don't want to be married to True. Yeah, I mean, he would just come in and get her pregnant and then leave again, so, like, bye. What a winning system. So, yeah, her parents were, like, super appreciative of their grandchildren. They were more than happy to, like, help her out. And at this point, Dennis's grandfather took on, like, a father-type role for the children, but especially had a close relationship with Dennis. Dennis would later go on to describe his particularly vivid memories of, I don't know why this part makes me laugh, long countryside walks with his grandfather and then he would like get really upset and lonely when his grandpa like went away to work at sea. He was a fisherman. I feel this kid. You know what? I was really close to my grandpa and he lived on like a big farm property and we used to go for like country walks so I get why it sounds funny but small town kid here remember like country walks from a thing i just read it as like he he liked long walks walks on the beach with his grandpa like it's like it a dating very, profile like, yeah it's just like okay <laughs> i don't know uh <laughs> but yeah so he was really upset when his grandpa would go to away to work and his grandparents were pretty strict and religious but they did really take a liking to the kids and they did a great job raising them or helping to raise them um as young as dennis could recall his grandpa described was described sorry as being his greatest hero and protector yeah that's really sweet yeah yes so it was very sad then on october 31st 1951 he's probably like just wants to put on his little teenage mutant ninja turtle halloween costume but dennis was only six years old and his grandfather dies um Yeah, his grandpa was only 62 years old at the time, and he died of a heart attack while working away on his fishing boat. Oh, no. So sad. So, 
This is actually noted by Dennis as a pivotal moment in his life um, that he says affected his future behavior. And he also describes a moment that was quite traumatizing for him when his mother invited him to view the open casket. Okay, people, I am not opposed to having an open casket. I respect whatever your wishes are. I feel like there should be someone at the funeral home that's responsible for saying, is there small children in the family? How do you expect to deal with this? And maybe just give them a little feedback rather than like, go say goodbye to grandpa. And like, oh, she told him he was sleeping. <gasps> no. Then what does he think right? when he goes in the ground or in the oven? Exactly. No, so you got to think... be honest with kids. They're not dumb. Yeah, they're not dumb. And so this was super kind of traumatic for him. Although, you know what? When my grandpa died, because he did die at home, and my niece would, like, run in and out of the room, like, the day he passed, and be like, Grandpa's sleeping! And we're like, oh, yep, okay. But she was, like, three, so she just Fair. did not get it. But yeah, we definitely had to sense. explain soon after. Um, after his grandpa passed away, this is when Dennis starts to, like, noticeably change a lot as a child. He becomes a lot more introverted, especially with his family, which I kind of find interesting. He pulled away yeah. mostly from them. Um, 1955, also a bit of a traumatic moment for Dennis. He almost drowned at the beach, but another kid pulled him out, and he describes this feeling of, like, I don't want to say euphoria, but, like, he, I guess, maybe almost slipped away like and sees the light that, a little bit. And felt like his grandfather yeah. was going to pull him out and save him. Um, and, I would love of that. course, in, right after that happened, another kid pulled him out and saved him, and he would have been about 10 at this point. I mean, that is what you see in movies, though. Sometimes they see, like, their family member or loved one who's passed saving them, and then they all of mm -hmm. a sudden wake up, and it's actually just a civilian. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, he's starting off like his life is a movie, and he will finish sure. it off that way. I went to a medium recently. I'm a little bit of a believer. <laughs> yeah, I honestly thought this was, that was kind of like, okay. Yeah. So, shortly after this happens, the family moves to Striken, which is away from the grandparents' house, and Elizabeth, his mom, remarries a man named Andrew. Um... Dennis's mom nice? and Andrew. He is nice, they, but they have four more children of their own. So now they oh, have like hey, seven kids. Overpopulated, yeah. Seven kids! That's too much. Yeah, and Dennis didn't really like this. He just felt like he didn't fit in and it made He's him feel even out. more like isolated and pushed out. Yeah, he yeah. just. And I think like, um, so Olaf Jr., Dennis's older brother, was quite like cool, popular, suave, whatever, mm -hmm. and Dennis okay. like wasn't. So, yeah. That's tough, too. So, all of this, uh, coupled also with, in his early adolescence, he discovered that he had homosexual tendencies, like, in his young teens. And, of course, he wasn't able to express talk about those. this or express yeah. this. And so, this, you know, also made him feel... You just didn't do it back then. Yeah, like really alone, but also I'm sure like what's wrong with me. And then he also claims yeah. to have had no sexual encounters in his adolescence of like any kind. Oh. Are you hitting your yeah. mic? No. Okay. Okay. No. 
All right. Dennis, he joins the Army Cadet Force program at the age of 14 while he's still in high school. Uh, the idea was here that the Army would kind of be his ticket out of the life he was living, away from this family situation. It's pretty miserable with his home life and also with having seven children. His family didn't really have a lot of money. So he just kind of wanted out of yeah. there. He graduated high school with pretty good grades and was regarded as having an above average intelligence. Um, he did have friends and stuff at school as well. He was definitely more of like a history and arts guy than a sports guy, but like no real problems at school. Okay. Again, okay. it's usually the ones that don't stand out that are the bigger issues. So, okay. I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, just like pretty normal. Yeah. So Dennis enlists in the army officially at the age of 16, where he becomes a cook and a butcher for army catering corporations. He described these years as being some of his most enjoyable years. Um, he loved the camaraderie of army life, especially during training. And so his time in the army begins in 61, and he is there for about 11 years. He leaves the army in 72, so he was about 27. Okay. There are some noteworthy things that happened during these years, so I'll mention. I was gonna a few. ask, like, did how was he otherwise? <laughs> well, uh, deployed, I guess. I don't know. Uh, well, he like went to work and stuff, like that way he was fine. But let's just you know break I mean, down his a behavior, few. Maybe let's maybe break down a few of those. So okay, okay. In 1964, Dennis graduated from his army training and was assigned to work in Germany. He Ooh, starts drinking okay. quite a bit, which was kind of the norm. I mean, yeah, think about it. Like, men in the though. army, they're, you know, they're, they're yeah, yeah. going out for beers and stuff. He said most of his co-workers were going out for drinks nightly. He described them as a, quote, boozy crowd. But there was one time... You probably want to forget what you're doing at the end of the day there. Like, just drown your sorrows, I bet. So, fair. Yeah. But there was one time when he got super drunk and woke up in bed the next morning with a man. Oh. He says nothing sexual happened during this encounter, but he really enjoyed... How do you know if you don't remember? I don't know. He just says they didn't have sex, but... This sparks his interest in, like, the idea of unconsciousness. Okay. Which isn't great. So, like, Dahmer, how he liked to do the brain solution, so it was a very uh, still body, no this reaction. This guy is known in the media as the UK Jeffrey Dahmer. So, yes, basically, yes, I feel very yes, validated like right now. I feel seen. Yeah, you are. I feel heard. You are. <laughs> So it was at this point that he would start to like purposely overdrink, or even sometimes he would just try and pretend that he was so drunk that he was getting unconscious because he was hoping that like somebody would take advantage of him. Pretend to like act on it with him and then he can react kind of thing. Or experience yeah, or what just... it's like to play dead. Honestly, I feel like he wanted somebody to he wanted to play unconscious and like just see what somebody would do to him and he thought that that was really awesome possum yeah okay buddy mm -hmm. so he was stationed around europe a bit over the years and there was a period in 1969 when he was stationed in berlin germany 
and he has his first sexual encounter with a female. He would literally not stop bragging to like coworkers and anyone that would listen to him about it. Like way over bragging about this. And obviously he's trying to like (laughs) assert that he likes women, but he would later go on to describe this experience with the female as depressing. It left him feeling empty and sleeping with a woman was depressing as hell. For some reason, I can just picture Kyle being like, amen. <laughs> Love you, Kyle. <laughs> so we're still in the army. We're still we're still serving. And another interesting event that happens during this. Um, so 1967, I'm just going back a couple years. He was deployed to the state of Aden, which is formerly the Aden colony. Okay. Here, he served as a cook at the Al-Mansura prison. This posting was quite a bit more dangerous than his previous postings in, like, West Germany or Norway. And Dennis later recalled being kidnapped by an Arab taxi driver who beat him unconscious, (laughs) placed him in the trunk of his car... And then after he dragged him back out of the trunk of his car, Dennis grabbed a jack handle, knocks the taxi driver to the ground before beating the shit out of him, and then in turn locked the driver in the trunk of the taxi. Oh, that escalated quickly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Like, what? What the fuck? (laughs) When you started that, like, train of events, I was like, okay, okay. What the fuck? Uh-huh. Okay, what? I <laughs> so he kept going and going and going. I know, and it's, I guess it's kind of, I. it's important to note that around this time, too, his, like, just completely side note, but his masturbation fantasies as well are getting pretty dark, so he... Oh, that's a side dis- note. Yeah, he describes here, so his most vivid fantasy that he used to, like, masturbate to. Vivid, great, thank you. Vivid, you're welcome. Was being a, no, sorry, was a slender, young, attractive, blonde soldier who had been recently killed in battle is dominated by a faceless, dirty, gray-haired old man who washed his body before engaging in intercourse with the corpse. Then how is he dirty? He washed the body, not himself. Oh, I thought I said he washed himself. Nope. Well, you know what? I have more questions than answers now. Yeah. Um, and... I'm gonna answer that one for you, but okay. Just keep that. Right. In, just keep that in mind that that's his fantasy okay. at this point. Okay. 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 Cool. Makes me think of Ludacris. What's your, boop, boop, what's your fantasy? <laughs> I'm embarrassed at how many words I know to that. And I think any '90s kid is. Yeah, we're not gonna go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> we could. All right, October 1972. This is when Dennis's career with the military ends. Okay. Dennis, he was pretty upset about this, actually. Like I mentioned, he really enjoyed the community and the camaraderie of the military, and he kind of felt lost when it came to an end, honestly. He was like, damn, I have to go home. We've talked about this before, how a lot of them do really well with the structure in the military, and then when they get out, they kind of flounder. Like, where do you go from there? 
And how do yeah. you start a new life when there's no one really telling you what's black and white, right and wrong, where to be, when to be, who to be. Like, it's just, it's hard, I can imagine. Well, and he, he moves back in to Elizabeth and Andrew's house, like, in with his parents and his siblings to figure out kind of what his next move is career-wise. But his mom is hounding him about his lack of a serious girlfriend and doesn't care at all about his career. So, like, there's that because, obviously, he doesn't want a girlfriend. Tom, your tits, and mom. doesn't want to admit it because, like, to his most of his family, he's still in the closet at this point. But... There was kind of an incident when they were younger and his brother Olaf Jr. kind of always knew after this incident that Dennis was gay. And so about like six weeks after he moved home, the family, the whole family's watching a show on television, which was like talking about homosexuality. And his family oh, was like obviously making comments and making fun of the men yeah. and so Dennis like started to defend the men on the show and started to kind of like stick up for gay rights and this is when his brother Olaf Jr. outed him in front of the whole family for being gay and within a month Dennis moved out to London and never spoke to his brother again. Oh my god that's heartbreaking. You should never yeah. you are not responsible to tell someone's story when they come out. That is their yeah. story. Do not ruin that for them. It's not okay. Yeah. Never. And of course, this is the early 70s, so it's a different time. But, I mean, it doesn't make it any easier or it doesn't make it right. I'm just, you know. This is unacceptable. Yeah. Unacceptable behavior. He did keep in contact with his mom and sister, though. Um, it was just his relationship with Olaf Jr. that he was like, bye-bye. Not, no I mean, he's you. the one that fucked him over, so it makes sense. Yep. But... That's hard. Yeah. I know. Like, trying to cut out just one person. I mean, I don't think he talked to his mom and sister a ton after this. I think it was just oh. that he didn't, like, entirely cut them off, whereas mm-hmm. Olaf Jr., he just cut them right off. Um, and okay. then early 73, he moves to London. This is, of course, he's like, I need a fresh, fresh start because my fresh start didn't work. Clearly. So he completed police training in London. Yeah, he, he finishes training, um, and it's a, he said here he discovered a fascination with morgue visits and autopsy bodies. Well, I mean, I respect that. I think I would enjoy that as well. Yeah. He ended up resigning as a police officer, though. He just didn't, it wasn't for him. He worked as a security guard briefly, and then from the mid-70s on, Dennis worked as a civil servant as a recruitment interviewer at job centers in North London. And he was a civil servant for the remainder of his life as a free man. Wow. Okay. He held down, like, a good job. I mean, at this point, he's he's just doing his life, I guess, right now. Yeah. So, this is kind of when it gets, you know, it gets worsey. It is believed... Go off the deep end. This is where we kind of go off the rails. It is believed that Dennis Nielsen began murdering men and boys in 1978. However, his first official with the uh, encounter with the police came in 1973. David Painter, who was a young man who Dennis had met through his work, claimed that Dennis had taken pictures of him while he was asleep. Dennis was brought in for like questioning right about the incident. when he got incident. out of the military? Mm-hmm. Like, right as? Wasn't it around 73? It, well, it was right when he moved to London. It would have been right okay. when he moved. 
Yeah. Okay. So he was brought in for questioning about this incident, but he was released without charge. Um, Like I kind of mentioned earlier, he's known in the media as the UK Jeffrey Dahmer because of the similarities of their crimes and just gross. Um, Mm -hmm. But Dennis killed eight men who have been identified and he claims to have killed seven more who have not been identified. And then there's also attempted murders in there, which we'll talk about. Um, So, yeah, let's just get into the whole it gets worse, though, part. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. 1975. Dennis starts living with a man named David Gallican in a ground floor garden apartment on Melrose Avenue in Cricklewood is what the neighborhood is called, which sounds fake. It sounds fake. It sounds made up. Sounds cute. All the places in the UK in general sound made up for the most part. They're really funny. It's like adorable. Yeah. Cricklewood. Cricklewood. The Dennis actually met David, who was 20 years old at the time, as he was getting harassed by a group of men outside a pub. These men were kind of starting to go at him, and Dennis saved David from the attack and brought him back to his home. They hung out. I think that's a matter of opinion. Yeah. Well, they hung out for a bit and Dennis finds out that David was actually living in a nearby hostel because he had just moved to town and he didn't have a job or anything yet. So together they decide to get a two bedroom apartment at 195 Melrose Avenue. They're like, hey, why don't we just live together? That could be fun. Okay. That was fast. Too soon. Yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah, so David denies that the two of them had a sexual relationship, but, like, regardless of what they were doing during their time together, it definitely provided a form of, like, companionship for Dennis. He really liked having somebody there that lived with him. And he kind of served as the breadwinner, and David really didn't ever work, so he was very, like, dependent on Dennis as well. He probably liked that, yeah. Yeah, so this relationship, of course, like, when you meet somebody and then you're just like, hey, want to move in together, just, you know, maybe not the best setup for a long-term success, and it did (laughs) just start to dissolve, like, a year in. (laughs) By two years in, it just wasn't working. just wasn't working, you know? Yeah. So, David moves out. Sad. Very sad. Yeah, just, you know, they were sleeping in completely separate rooms. David still wasn't, like, even considering getting a job. Dennis isn't really getting anything out of this, you know, back and forth anymore. He's kind of feeling used and abused. So he actually kicked him out. I guess they had a fight and Dennis was like, bye. See ya. Yeah, and, but even though Dennis was the one that ended it, this definitely began a a bit of a downward spiral into alcohol and loneliness. Over the course of the next 18 months, Dennis would get involved with men short term, but he never really seemed to have anything that had any long term potential. And he just really disliked that his hookups left him in the morning. He wanted them to stay. Okay. I mean... Then build a relationship with somebody, don't... You know what? Go ahead. You keep going. Nobody wanted to stay with him, Katie. He had no other choice. There's always another choice. (laughs) We're going to flash forward to December 29th, 1978. Birthday. What? December 29th? Yeah. Yeah, that was my grandpa's birthday. There's always a damn birthday. Always. A grandpa, too. The significance. 
and he was the best. <laughs> I love that. I know, me too. <gasps> so December 29th, 1978. Uh, happy <laughs> yeah. birthday, Grandpa. Whoop. Dennis meets a 14-year-old, a 14-year-old named Stephen Holmes in a pub and invites him home. <laughs> This is something he had done many times before. He, Stephen was, I guess, attempting unsuccessfully to buy alcohol. And Dennis thought was he was say like 14 in a pub. <laughs> yeah. So they weren't serving him. And Dennis thought he was probably like 17. So he invites yeah. him over, you know, like, hey, you want to come to my place? I'll give you some drinkies. Fair. They spend the night together. Uh, but the next morning, he became very overcome with his desire to have the man stay at his home over New Year's. Okay. And so instead of, How did like, he go about said measures? Okay, well, he didn't ask him if he wanted well, to I stay. I think he did. I feel like he was voluntold. He strangled him with a tie, and then... When he did not fully die, because, you know, strangulation is hard. It's hard, he, guys. He drowned him in a bucket of water. He took the corpse back to the bathroom to bathe it, which becomes a part of his normal ritual. So weird. Okay, yeah. And then he placed it back in his bed. Okay. Mm-hmm, yeah, we're about to go on a fucking roller coaster. Yeah. I mean, I have heard this case before, uh... given that... <laughs> Oh, she means business tonight. <laughs> <laughs> this might get left in. <laughs> I wonder who's trying to break in. That's my first concern. Hold on, let me go shut the blinds. I'm on the third floor and she's at the window. I don't think anyone's rappelling down the building to break in. Can't <laughs> 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 be trusted. Well, there's no guarantee she's going to stop, but I closed the blinds over a little and I've shut the door a little, so hopefully that combo will be a winner. The effort was made. Yeah, I was trying. Yeah, so, shit, where were we? Uh, he washed the body, put him back and in then, his bed, and then what? Tell me, mm, tell me, because I know you're going to tell me anyway. Mom, can you come get me? I'm scared. <laughs> he realizes at this point that he really, really enjoys having this body with him and, you know, masturbates over his body, sleeps beside it all night. Eventually, he hides the body under his floorboards for between seven and eight months. Telltale heart. It's a long time. Uh, so at this point, of course, he removes it and... Uh, burns the remains in the backyard garden of his place in August of 79. And now I know when they moved in that he had secured with the landlord, like, exclusive access to the gardens yeah. at this place. And that no so. one would change them. Like, no one was allowed to touch them. Yeah. Also, so yeah. he's, like, early 30s now? Because didn't you yeah. say he was, like, 27 and 70, like, late 70s? Okay. Just making sure. So he's, like, yeah. our age now. <laughs> Great. Yeah, because in, like, 72, he was, like, 27. We're in 78 right now, so he would have been about, like, 31, 32. Oh, lovely. Um, yeah, so, yeah, he burns the remains in the backyard garden, and um, he recalls after this first victim that he, uh, quote, started down the avenue of death and possession of a new kind of flatmate, end quote. <laughs> Creepy as fucking yeah. hell. Yeah. So he does kind of have a cooling off period, but he does try at least once more during this time and the person escapes. 
So it's not a cooling off period. You were just unsuccessful, motherfucker. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, December 3rd of 1979, though, he meets his second victim, who was 23-year-old Kenneth Ockendon at a pub. Kenneth was a Canadian tourist. Uh, he was there visiting family, actually, and he had met uh, Dennis at, like, a gay bar. After a full day of drinking and sightseeing together, they ended up at, uh, back at Dennis's apartment, and Dennis ends Fair. up strangling Kenneth to death. Not fair. Uh, no. As he had done before, he cleans up the body in the bathroom, so he washes him. He really liked his victims to be, like, perfect. Okay. Really weird. Like they would be in a coffin, like how he saw his grandpa. Yeah, like he put makeup on them and <sighs> would cover up like any blemish that they had. And um, so like he just wanted to pretend he had this perfectly still boyfriend. Yeah, and he would keep the ones that were like prettier and more quote perfect in his mind. He would keep them longer. And like if he killed somebody and then realized that they had like, I don't know blemishes or like like things that he didn't like on their bod he would just put them under the floorboards right away like they weren't useful to him again telltale heart another weird weird thing that he did he shaved their stomachs because that was like his ideal body he liked them to be shaved that's just like peach fuzz anyway like what it's so fucking weird (laughs) yeah yeah Anyway, um, I think I bring that up later, so I'll just, I just told you now instead, but he... Spoiler! So he sleeps in overnight in bed with Kenneth, um, until finally he deposits his body into, into the floorboards, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. He, so he, it's important to note for this one, he strangled Kenneth with the headphones that he was using to listen to music out of. He then dragged yeah. his body across the floor, poured himself a glass of rum, and then started listening to music out of the same headphones. He recycles. Well, he really liked music, and so one of his ways <laughs> to, like, get people to come over was, like, hey, want to come over and have some drinks and listen to music? So, like, I have no idea why they're doing it out wanna of headphones. Want to come check out my record collection? Would you ever invite somebody over and then be, like, here's some headphones? It's weird, but... but- the headphones back then were like big over the ear. Nothing's in the ear. They're not so gross. True. And people were a lot more like trustworthy and buddy buddy right away back then compared to now. But they had like normal speakers, right? That you could play out that everybody but could hear if at it's the same late. time. Maybe. You're right. I know. Uh, anyway, that's just like a really, you know, gruesome fact. With this victim, though, he actually pulled this body out, like, four or five times to, like, sit him down and have conversations with him and stuff as if Kenneth was still alive. And, like, he was literally just pulling him out and being like, hey, Ken, how was your day? I'm not kidding. Uh, I know, but the way you said it, I pictured him pulling it out and being like, okay, Kenneth, we gotta talk. The way you're like, he pulled him out to have some serious conversations with him <laughs> kind of thing. It's like, fair, no, he would Ken, just pull him out. we gotta talk. You're really starting to stink up the place. Yeah, literally, though. (laughs) Another super fucked up part about this particular victim is that the day after he strangled Kenneth, he went and purchased a Polaroid camera and then took pictures of his body in, like, suggestive poses that he put in. Dahmer-esque, 100%. This guy is dialing up his Dahmer dial by the second. Yeah. His cool-off period gets much less frequent for his third yes. victim. 
five months after killing Kenneth, Dennis killed 16-year-old Martin Duffy, who had actually babies. been sleeping. There are babies. And while Wasn't I was his writing mom's this, maiden name? Uh, no. White. Oh. oh. They are really young, though, for how old he is, which is, like, yeah. just even worse, in my opinion. And most the of offering this... alcohol, though, and music. Like, it's probably an easy age to get to come back with you. Well, and his victims were all vulnerable. They were all in a position where maybe they had, like, just come to London looking for work and they didn't really have a permanent residence or, in some cases, like, they were all vulnerable in some way. Well, they and lived really... there, but no one knew they were gay, right? Like, so they didn't know they were at the gay bar to begin with, so. Yeah, just, like, really easy targets, honestly. Yeah. Um, so Martin Duffy, he had been sleeping at a nearby railway station for four days when Kenneth found him. He okay. invited him over for a meal and to spend the night with him after spotting him on his way home from work. And as with his first victim, Dennis strangled Martin, but then drowned him in the kitchen sink when strangling him didn't quite work. He bathed with him. Sat him down at a kitchen chair. He would, like, with this victim, he would, like, kiss him and compliment him and, like, caress the body. Just, I can't. Ick. But then he put Martin's body in a kitchen cabinet for a bit. But then as soon as the body began to blow, uh, in his words, under the floorboards he goes. Okay. Yeah, like, he would basically keep the so. bodies around to, like, hang out with them until they showed even the slightest sign of decomp, and then he would, they were no longer Did he ever, him. like, bring multiple out at once? Like, have a mixer or, like, a dinner party? Stop. I don't know. I don't want to know. I hate that that image is in my brain now. Maybe. I bet he did. There is a period where... That's awkward. All your exes in one place. Oh my God. I, I gotta stop. You really do. There's a period of time where he killed quite a few in a really short period of time and was unable to identify them. Like, there's a bunch of victims that aren't identified, and there's, like, yeah. five in, like, before the end of 1980, he had killed, like, five more people, but only one was identifiable, and that was 27-year-old Billy Sutherland. All of these victims were all strangled or a combination of strangulation and drowning, bathed, caressed, and then obviously used as like a prop and then placed under the floorboards. So, uh, yeah, the, we're creeping into the summer now. And of course, oh. whatever, whatever is going on <laughs> under the floorboards, it, it just, it can't be good, you know? I just it, know the heat we're experiencing right now. And we're talking far further back in terms of technology and infrastructure and just overall insulation. So I am not excited for what you're about to say. Yeah, so, the I mean, the smell of hot decomposing bodies was overwhelming on its own. Uh, the place had also become filled with maggots and flies. And That's Dennis, to be expected. Yeah, Dennis admitted... <laughs> He would put deodorants beneath the floorboard as if that was going to help. And then twice a day around the apartment, he would spray insecticide. But he was like, oh, the odors and the flies didn't go away, though. I don't know what I was doing wrong. God, you would have been better off putting, like, cat litter on top of each body, buddy. Like, at least they would have, like, dried out. 
Yeah, so of course his efforts to, you know, not live in a morgue are literally a a filthy morgue are not, uh, they're not working. So he digs up all the bodies from under the floorboards and burns the remains of every victim since December of 1979 in the backyard. He covers up the smell of burning human remains by tossing in an old car tire. We'll just throw oh, in a car tire to, to make it better. Burning rubber and decomposition. That's not going to raise any red flags to the neighbors. Also, if this is multiple victims, the the level of heat it takes to actually burn a body and the amount of hours it takes to fully break down. Buddy, how long was that thing going? Yeah, he said that three neighborhood children watched as he had this fire. And he was, like, fantasizing. Falls out of the fire, and the kids are just like, oh, God. He was literally, like, fantasizing about them, like, dancing around the fire like a ritual. Oh, my God. Tell me that's not fucked up. Like, what? Yeah. I can't. So, he used a rake afterwards to search for any, like, recognizable bones, and noted that the skull was still completely intact, so he just smashed it with his rake and moved on. I mean, it would break pretty easily after that. It would be pretty brittle. (laughs) Yeah, good, good, good. Dennis killed three more unidentified victims between January and April of 1981. God. Yeah. Uh, At least one of these he's known to have, like, called in sick to work to. He starts dissecting the victims. Like, an actual experiment? Like, he just wants to learn about the body kind of thing? Or, like, more for, like, breaking it down to... dispose of it i'm not trying to be insensitive i'm genuinely curious. no uh, a little bit of both honestly his workplace okay. sick records do come in to play kind of like later on because they cross Good. reference a lot of times where he called in sick to work and it directly <laughs> correlates with a time that he would have either been cleaning up a murder or like dissecting yeah. and dismembering like the day after someone went missing he called in sick kind of thing okay yeah yeah So next came 23-year-old Malcolm Barlow in September of 1981. It was September 17th, 1981, and Malcolm was found slumped over outside of Dennis's flat. Um, Dennis found him slumped over outside of his flat. He'd actually collapsed from the medication that he was on for epilepsy, and so Dennis invited him into his place. He called him an ambulance. Seems pretty neighborly. Malcolm's taken to a nearby hospital, and the next day, oh, poor baby, the next day he comes back to Dennis's apartment thank to him. thank him. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Dennis, of course, fights, invites him in, feeds him, they have dinner and drinks, they hang out and listen to music, and once Malcolm falls asleep, Dennis strangles him and puts his body under the kitchen sink. I need to see what this guy looks like, because that's one thing I don't know, is like, I don't know what this guy looks like. He looks like, creepy. Is he a looker? No. Oh. Like, hard no, he is creepy looking. Even in his younger pictures, he's not, like, bad looking, but he still just gives, like, creepy vibes, in my opinion. It's like Stephen King. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's not a vibe that I'm going for. No, not at all. Not, he, not my jam. He looks like he's going to do something bad to you if you go home with him, in my opinion. Well, I mean, but he was. Yeah. About a month after killing Malcolm 
In October of 1981, Dennis's landlord tells him that he has to move out because he wants to renovate the complex. And Dennis puts like up a bit of a fight about this, but then his landlord offers to pay him a thousand pounds. So he takes it and he moves. Though, so he moves to an attic apartment at 23 Cranley Gardens. And because it's, yeah, it's an attic apartment. So he does not have the same access to burning bodies as he did at his old place. Yeah, a yard, essentially. He can't just walk out in the backyard because he owns the house or is renting the house. No. Well, and this Cranley Gardens was, like, um, a complex, so... Yeah, it's very close like a bunch quarters. of people that lived in this stuff. Yeah, pretty close quarters, but he moves... He actually goes a couple months of bringing men home and not killing them, which... Oh, how kind of him. Good for you, I guess. Sorry, not for a lack of trying. Like, he does... There is a couple instances where he does try, but the person either got away or whatever. March of 92, however, he obviously is a little bit more comfortable in his new place, and he brings home 23-year-old John Howitt. The two hang out, and Dennis attacks him, but this time John actually fights back, and he fought back pretty hard. Dennis did eventually overpower him and kill him, but Dennis had defensive wounds, like... He had fingerprint marks of John's all over his neck for like a week after the attack. He brought John to the bathroom, filled up the bathtub, and drowned him. That's how he killed him. Okay. Yeah. Jeez. May of 1982, so his his attacks are getting pretty close together at this point. Uh, Dennis brings home 21-year-old Carl Stodder. Carl is a survivor. I was going to say, I recognize this name. Yeah, Carl's a survivor... Dennis had bought Carl a few drinks at the bar and he Carl I guess had been going through like a pretty serious breakup and was kind of confiding in um, Dennis about that and so Dennis invites him over ensuring him he is not interested in sex at all he just wants to him to come over hang out have some drinks with me listen to my music listen yeah. to my mixtape um, but over, after I'll he... make you a drink I'll be a shoulder to cry on That's exactly yeah, it's fucking predator. After Carl passed out, he passed out on like an open sleeping bag and Carl wakes up to Dennis strangling him and telling him to stay still. Imagine. The last he, time I do is stay still if someone's He wakes up me. and yeah, Dennis is fucking on top of him like stay still. He strangles him. He drowns him and he sits him in a chair. He's like certain that he is dead because he has done so many things to him at this point. Carl kind of remembers slipping in and out of consciousness and he remembers hearing the water running before he passed out again. He actually testified at Dennis's trial that he remembers gasping the words, please no more in the middle of Dennis drowning him before he like passed out into unconsciousness oh again. Um, And then, like I said, he finally sat him in the chair when he thought that Carl was dead. Um, This part, you're going to be like, what? Dennis's dog. Yeah, he has a dog. We this is the only time said dog comes up in research. But apparently Dennis has a dog. Anyway, so Dennis's dog. dog He the dog is fine as far as I know. Well, I don't think the dog's I mean, alive probably anymore, dead by now. but the yeah. entire time through, yes, the dog was, the dog okay. doesn't come up except for this. Um, the okay. dog actually, he's the goodest boy, goes over Aww. to the body sitting in the chair and starts licking at his face. And this is when Dennis realizes that Carl's actually still alive. 
damn dog ratted him out. <laughs> Literally. And so he starts at this point to like rub his limbs to increase circulation, covering him in blankets. And now he's like reviving him. Yeah. Over the next 48 hours, Carl went in and out of consciousness until 48 hours later, he was fully awake and kind of like questions what happened because he was like i you were strangling me the water was running like yeah i was in a sleeping bag yeah like Uh what the fuck happened dennis tells him that like he was suffering in the sleeping bag and dennis saved him and had to put him in like a cold bath because he was in shock like he got the sleeping bag cord like stuck around his neck and got okay i guess yeah yeah, you were you were suffocating. I saved you and I had to throw you in the cold water because you were in shock. He then drops Carl off yeah. at a nearby railroad station and literally says, "Hope to see you again sometime, man." No thanks. Please no. Please no, never. No second date. Now remember, he's working full-time for the civil service during all of this. Uh so much so that in June of 1982, Dennis gets promoted to an executive position at his work. <laughs> like what? This kind of double life. Just, it this double life just always throws us fascinates off. Fascinates like. me. It fascinates us. I've said it a million yeah. times. I just I can barely keep up with one life. I don't understand this. True. So three months after he gets promoted, Dennis meets 27 year old Graham Allen. Um, who was actually waving down a taxi. Dennis picks him up and offers for him to come have a meal at his place at Cranley Gardens, and Graham accepts, and the two go over to Dennis's apartment. Dennis makes him an omelet and, like, actually says that he was standing there watching him eat an omelet, knowing he was going to kill him. What? I want an omelet. Oh, my God. I don't anymore. And then, uh, so he says he doesn't know when, uh, but he at some point strangles Graham and kept Graham's body in the bathtub for three days before he dissected the body on the kitchen floor. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. And he actually, so he called. The... Well, I wonder if he's putting them in the bathtub because he's like draining the blood out of them. So that way he can dissect them cleanly in the kitchen. Like, I know it sounds gross, but. No, I mean, either way, he always cleans them. Yeah. He always but I just cleans mean the body the, no matter what. Was, but, like, the three days in the bathtub is a little bit different compared to usual, so I wonder if he was draining the blood out because he doesn't have the space outside to be doing shit with the bodies after. Maybe. Also, this apartment, I've seen pictures of, like, where this occurs, and it is so dirty and disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, I expected that. Yick. Uh, Yeah, so he's known to have informed his work that he was sick and unable to attend work on October the 9th, which is likely so that he could complete the dissection of Graham Allen's body. Another sick day. Yeah. I need to take a personal day. I got some things to take care of. Yep. Okay. So... January 2nd of 1983, so we're a couple months ahead again, Dennis meets what would end up being his final victim, 20-year-old Stephen Sinclair. Stephen was last seen by acquaintances with Dennis, and the two hung out all day and made their way back to Dennis's place to continue the party and have drinks. At a certain point, Dennis literally approaches Stephen and says... 
Oh, Stephen, here I go again. Before strangling him with a necktie and a rope. Yep. That's like, oops, I did it again. Oh, Stephen, here I go again. So he strangles Stephen with a necktie and a rope. He bathes him. He places him in bed with him. And then before he goes to bed, he literally turned his face towards him and said, Good night, Stephen. Just, I can't. Stephen. He then dissects this victim's body as he had done previously. And he's kind of starting to run out of storage now. And he's starting to, like, wrap body parts in plastic and store them in different areas of the house. So he's, like, putting different parts in wardrobes, different cupboards. He had body parts in a tea chest. He had them in the bathroom. He had them in the kitchen. Like, they're, like, he's just stashing them everywhere. Okay. And uh, he started to at this point because, like we talked about, he didn't have, like, the garden's access for burning. So he's like, hmm, it would be a lot easier if I had a lot less flesh to deal with. So he starts boiling the heads of his victims as well as their hands and feet to remove all the flesh off them and make them easier to dispose of. He's just boiling whole heads. Yeah, I don't agree with what he's doing. It's disgusting, but... He's working with what he's got. This case is so... Uh, there are... Which is going to sound so weird, but in the true crime community, like, everybody has cases that they prefer to cover or types of cases that they like doing more than others. This is the type of case I like doing the least. Oh, see, these ones don't bother me. I just... It doesn't bother me. I just, like, I this level of ludicrousy of this is just... It's outrageous. I will take someone killing a hundred adults and cannibalizing them and doing all this if I don't have to talk about someone hurting children or animals. <laughs> That's fair. The animals really gets me. I feel yeah. like I keep doing kid cases, so I'm not sure that I can... I just think every case should be talked about, so I'll talk about any case that I feel I want to Agreed. or deserves attention. I'm not going to like discriminate, but um, I just... This is so ridiculous to me mm-hmm. like i said that would have that was his last victim and the drains at cranley gardens apartments they become blocked in february of 1983 and dennis actually sent a letter to the landlords complaining <laughs> that his drains were locked were clogged like he Buddy, had no idea what was going on it's probably congealed blood it might be the fact that you're flushing bone down the toilet that too yeah, because he started, like, he would um, flush down parts that were smaller, thinking that he, it was, like, easier to get rid of them that way. No. So four days after Dennis sends this letter, a plumber named Michael Catran was called to the property for inspection. He opened the drain cover to discover small bones and bone fragments and even some flesh and reported them to his supervisor. The next day, when the plumber and the supervisor returned to the apartment complex, they found that the drain had been cleared, which they immediately found suspicious. Yeah, so Dennis Um, probably saw the cover off of it, realized that he was busted. Well, they had actually, uh, like, talked to some of the residents when, like, when Michael went there to search the drains, because obviously he was the one that sent the letter. So he's going to be acting like, oh, what's going on? Why are the drains clogged? And the plumber said, like... They found some form of remains blocking the drains. They didn't say it was human or anything, but Dennis's response was because he said, like, they found small bones and flesh. 
His response was that it sounded like someone was flushing their Kentucky Fried Chicken. Also, like, he's at the top floor, so, like, if yours is plugging up there, it doesn't make sense that something at the bottom would be plugged. Like, it's your drain, buddy. Well, I guess, like, because it had made its way, it was all plugged. But so they found that, like, that one was cleared, and then... But they did find more bones and flesh in a pipe that led to the top complex in the building, a.k.a. Dennis's apartment. And this is when they call the police. The police... But I just mean, like, if he's the one that calls and complains, if he's like, hey, my drains up at the top of the building are fucking up, you'd be like, okay, well, there's no other tenant that could be doing that. It's got to be you because you're the top unit. So, like, wouldn't they be like... Maybe the issue's him. But they do figure it out because the main drain was cleared, but then they found more in the pipe that led up to, like, his actual complex. Okay. So the police take samples from the drain that they had been given by the plumber, and they take it to a local mortuary, and the pathologist at the mortuary confirms that the remains that they discovered were human. Good. Step one. Obviously, they knew that they were going up to the top floor and the residents were like, yeah, that's Dennis's place. Dennis returns home um, from work the next day to find Detective Chief Inspector Peter Jay and two other police colleagues waiting outside his place wanting to search his flat. He He willingly lets police inside his home, but when they enter, like, they can immediately smell the smell. Mm-hmm. Of death. His like apartment is full of remains. Bugs. Like there's no way that he they could not be smelling that. No. They Yeah, they let Dennis know the reason for their search was that the drains were clogged, to which he responded, quote, Since when do the police have an interest in clogged drains? When They're... human <laughs> remains turn up in them. <laughs> exactly what the officer says. The officer's like, yeah. uh, since they were clogged with human remains and they're coming from your <laughs> place. So Dennis pretty much ends up admit- admitting immediately that there were dead bodies and body parts in his flat. Like, the cops were pretty much like, okay, so where's the rest of the body? And Dennis was pretty yeah. much like, which one? Yeah. <laughs> Hold up, wait a minute. Let me get the list of inventory out. Like, Yeah, and he told ugh. police, basically, it's a long story and I would like to get it off my chest, but I want to be taken to the station first. I just can't be around all this stench. Yeah, pretty much get me out of this home that I've been living in, in death. But yeah, so it's pretty immediate. Like, they walk in, they're like, uh, yeah, where's the bodies at, bro? And yeah, so he goes with them. Good. He's arrested on the spot on suspicion of murder and, like I said, uh, taken to Hornsey Police Station. On the way to the police station, the police are, they're like, so do the remains in your place belong to one or one person or two? And he goes 15 or 16 since 1978. Imagine being that cop. And just that moment where you have to be so composed still and be like, okay. Oh. Okay. Thank you for informing me of that. If you could please elaborate. (laughs) Like they're just like, is that one or two people? And he's like 16. He also, again, in the car stated that it felt great to get that off his chest and... So, because he couldn't remember the names of many of his victims, Dennis was only charged with the murders that police investigators could actually confirm. Of course, after they had an interview and everything with him, they went back to search his place uh, and they found, yeah, among other things, they found a bag containing two dissected torsos, one of which had been vertically dissected, a shopping bag containing various internal organs, 
A second bag containing a human skull almost completely devoid of flesh, a severed head, and a torso with arms attached but had hands missing. Both heads were found to have been subjected to moist heat, a.k.a. he boiled them. Yeah. There are over 30 hours of recorded interview footage from this interrogation, and I'm not going to go too much into what actually happens in the interview because I'm almost positive that Netflix is going to discuss yeah. that because they have, like, they're interviewing the police point. investigators and stuff. Yeah, yeah, so, like, we don't need to go too much into that. But in this tape, he does confess that he took no pleasure in killing, but that he worshipped the act and art of death. Yeah. Okay. Uh, under English law, the police have 48 hours to either charge a suspect or let them go. Um, mm-hmm. And so over the next 48 hours, they conduct multiple searches of Cranley Gardens. On February 11th, 1983, Dennis was charged with the murder of Stephen Sinclair and transferred to Brixton Prison to await trial. He was not a model inmate here. He actually threw feces at guards from his cell and was just being a complete menace in general. Shit. Uh, he didn't want to wear a prison uniform. So he was just like, well, I'm just going to wear nothing then. So he was not allowed to leave his cell no. because he refused to put clothes on because he didn't want to wear his prison uniform. So he just like tossed the contents of his chamber pot out his cell at a bunch of guards. <laughs> So, so gross. Disgusting. Uh, so as a result of doing this, he was found guilty on August 9th of assaulting prison officials and spent, like, a ridiculous amount of days in solitary. Fair. You threw shit at a professional. Yeah. yeah. We are getting to the end. Uh, hopefully you guys are all uh, understanding what we're about to get into for this Netflix documentary <laughs> and still here. Yeah, but, I mean, you're going to have to listen to this guy speak, so, you know. We might as well know what we're getting ourselves into. Not going to be as bad as the blinker, that guy from the last documentary. (laughs) That killed me. I couldn't stand him. You couldn't deal with that? No. All right. May 26, 1983, Dennis was supposed to start his trial for five counts of murder and two counts of attempted murder. But he was consistently hiring and firing and hiring and refiring his attorney because he wanted to represent himself, because of course he did, and the courts were like, so he's no. he's trying to just get through them all, yeah, to be like, no, look, you none can't. of them work, so I'm just yeah. going to do it. Yeah, they, were, they, they just Fuck continued off, to be like, no, you can't do that. Uh, so he's just like doing whatever he could to prolong the trial, which didn't end up starting as a result until October of that year. Jesus. Okay. Initially, he was set to plead guilty, and then five weeks before trial, he fired his lawyer again and hired a new lawyer who advised him to plead not guilty by diminished responsibility. Yep. Fuck. (laughs) If only that he had just waited out that last lawyer. And just, let's just make it easy for everybody. You fucking did it. Don't even go through the process of wasting the court's money. The primary dispute during trial between the prosecution and the defense was not whether Dennis had actually killed the victims, but his state of mind before enduring. The prosecution argued that Dennis was sane in full control of his actions and had killed with premeditation, while the defense argued that he suffered from diminished responsibility, which rendered him incapable of forming the intention to commit murder and should therefore be convicted only of manslaughter. So they're trying to get a reduced sentence on 
like his mm-hmm. mental state basically at the time he committed the killings. No. A number of uh, victims of Dennis's who had survived actually did take the stand to testify against him, including Carl, who was the guy who Dennis had claimed got just like casually strangled by a sleeping bag. Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah, so he as an adult, I know how to use a sleeping bag. <laughs> yeah, so he went on stand and was like, "Yeah, no." Yeah, on... thank you, but no, thank you. Pretty much, you didn't save my life. You tried to kill no. me, sir. Exactly. November fourth, and then held 19... me hostage for a few days. Yeah, uh, November fourth, nineteen eighty-three. Dennis Nielsen is found guilty of six murders. So a sixth charge was later added. And two of okay. attempted murder and received a life sentence similar to that in Canada of no possibility of parole for at least 25 years. This sentence was later upgraded to what is called in Britain a whole life tariff or a whole life order. This is a mm-hmm. mechanism under British law uh, which sentences certain offenders to remain in prison until his or her death. So this came into force in 1983 when the British Home Secretary began to set minimum terms that convicted killers had to serve before they were considered to be released. Uh, Mm. Crimes where whole life tariffs are recommended by the law include A, murder of two or more persons, where each murder involves any of the following, a substantial degree of premeditation or planning, the abduction of the victim, or sexual or sadistic conduct, B, child murder if involving the abduction of the child or sexual or sadistic motivation. C, murder done for the purpose of advancing a political, religious, or ideological cause. D, murder by an offender previously convicted of murder. And E, other offense if the court considers that the seriousness of the offense or combination of the offense and one or more offenses associated with it is exceptionally high. Uh, Why don't we have this in Canada? I don't know. There's a lot of things that I don't agree with procedurally with the UK. However, there's a lot to do with their legal system um, and the way that they do like tiered and different like options with things so that it's not a cookie cutter sentence. It's not just like there's more variables to it. So, yeah, I agree. There's a lot more opportunity for adequate sentencing, I feel like, and appropriate sentencing for crimes in the UK at times. Yeah, I just feel like um, we were kind of talking about it last episode, actually, with the whole, if you are designated a dangerous offender, like, why do you still have the same rights to apply for parole at the same time as anyone else? And this totally, like... It's bullshit. This encompasses that for us. So, Canada, take everything else from Britain. Why don't you take this one? Yeah, like, aren't we under their monarchy still? Can we not take their laws, too? Let's, Let's take this whole life tariff shit. I'm into it. Uh, after his sentencing, Dennis was taken first to Wormwood Scrubs Prison in West London before being transferred to HMP Parkhurst and then HMP Wakefield. He was in prison there until 1990. He was eventually taken to HMP Full Sutton in East Yorkshire, where he died on May 12, 2018. And uh, you will all be very happy to know that Dennis died in excruciating pain with internal bleeding after undergoing an operation and then later suffering a blood clot as a result. Sure did. Yeah. He had a pretty horrific death, so we can all all be, you know, we can all rest happy knowing that. Karma. Yeah. I also will say for anyone who does enjoy this story and wants to listen to anything else about it too, I was like, where did I hear this story? Um, I did hear it on 
All Killa No Filla, which is like a UK-based two female comedians. Um, so it's Rachel Fairburn and Curie Pritchard McLean, and they're so freaking funny. So definitely check theirs out too, because it's also they're UK-based. So it's really funny to hear them tell the story with their accents. <laughs> oh, I love that. I was just trying to look up what HMP means, and it's just their, like, public sector prison service. So HMP stands for HM Prison, but I don't know what HM stands for. Hmm. I'm Googling it, and I don't see a lot. No. Anyway. Oh, Her Majesty's. Huh. It stands, HMP stands for Her Majesty's Prison, so that's why they're called that. I was just curious. Of course. That makes sense. So, yeah. yeah, Her Majesty's Prison Parkhurst and then Her Majesty's Prison Wakefield. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, okay. he died at HMP Full Sutton in East Yorkshire. Uh, so a minimum of four victims of Dennis's remain ident- unidentified to this day. And memories of a murderer, the Nielsen tapes, uh, I'm sure is going to go into even more detail about these horrific crimes. And as I mentioned earlier, um tap into a lot of Dennis's personal archives and kind of try and explain hopefully the why behind what and how he did what he did and I don't know yeah maybe we'll get a little more insight yeah I did find this one article just to kind of like finish it off we are done but I found this one article that was saying that this young woman who lived next door to Dennis at one point. It was at 195 Melrose, so it was at the Cricklewood home. Apparently, she just, like, disappeared and was never heard from again. Okay. A pregnant female does not like fit... Women. Yeah, it doesn't fit yeah. his, like, victim profile at all. It's just kind of interesting Seems that... too high risk. She went missing at the exact same time that he was doing all this, and she literally lived yeah. next door to him. So, that was just, it like, is kind very of a odd. side note. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely very odd, but I loved it. I loved it. I think it was perfect, and we will definitely be sure to update everyone after we watch the documentary ourselves, and we will make sure to watch it toot sweet when it comes out, so we can give you our hot opinions. Yes, I definitely will be watching this, especially now that I just researched this whole case. I'm interested to kind of see what's on it. I mean, I'm always a little bit up. Not apprehensive to watch them, but I take everything on these documentaries, especially when it's, like, them talking to themselves at a camera with a grain of salt because I feel like, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of like social media. That's the life that you want to show. So everything could be skewed in a different perspective. And I think that it can be done kind of unconsciously and unknowingly even by a producer or director or whole team if they have a similar view without even noticing. So I agree. Those are always taken with a grain of salt. For, for me, sure. it's like, it's, it's just you saying that this happened and there's nobody because all these people are dead. There's nobody to like corroborate your stories or your, you know what I mean? You're, I'm not yeah. saying I don't believe that he did all these things. I just feel like watching him speak about himself to me is like, well, so frustrating. I don't, I kind of just don't want to believe you because I know if you were alive, it would piss you off. You know, I just, I, yeah. yuck. So that was uh, today's episode. Hopefully that sets you up nicely for a little bit of Netflix binging uh, this week. And that's all from me. I love it. We just made it through Friday the 13th. And we made it through Friday the 13th. 
we're recording this pre-Friday the 13th, so we actually haven't made it through yet, but we're positive energy. We're gonna, we're gonna make it. Yeah. I'm being optimistic. Yeah. Got this. Okay. I'll call you soon. Okay. <gasps> okay. Bye. Bye. How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me.